Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Eric Devonier, and I'm here with a good friend of mine, Ryan Sargent, who's a chemistry professor at Brigham Young University, Idaho. So Ryan, I thought uh, we would begin uh, just by asking you a little bit about your background, where you grew up, your, you know, what your, your family situation was like. Okay, um, we grew up, so my brother and I were very close in age. So when I say we, it's, it was always the two of us. How, how um, close were you? We were eight, 15 months, 15 months apart, yeah. And so um, it was the two of us, my parents, we were, my parents were always active in the church. My dad was, uh, my earliest memories are him graduating from vet school in uh, University of Illinois. And then we moved quite a bit until he was able to find a practice in Northern California. And we settled there and grew up there in Northern California from the time I was probably third grade until I graduated high school. Um, worked quite a bit in his office as a kid. I think that was to keep us out of trouble and uh, immunized us to a lot of the messes we clean up as parents. So, <laughs> what, what did you enjoy doing with your dad with the, in the vet place? The, um, not much. Yeah. It was a lot of work, but I did, spending time with my dad was awesome. Um, but more importantly, sometimes, especially in the summertime, we'd go in there and uh, he would do a necropsy occasionally. And so he'd if an animal passed away, um, we'd ask dad to open it up for us. And then we got to look inside. And, and I still remember, um, and he denies that this happened, but one day it was the middle of his lunch break. And so he's got a sandwich in one hand oh, and a scalpel oh, oh, blade in the other. And he's oh. kind of showing us around the inside of this dog. Uh, my brother and I, again, we worked there all through high school. And, and so when I graduated from high school, I went, I wanted to be a doctor. I, and so... Oh. I went to Utah State University and was ready to, I was in, I was pre-med and a biology major. And, um, and then I served a mission and went in El Salvador. And uh, there was a moment during my mission when we were, I was watching a girl with spina bifida. Um, she had an outgrowth on her back, just a big mm -hmm. pocket of spinal tissue. And she was clearly mentally disabled and just kind of sitting in, on the ground there in a puddle of her own urine. And I, I thought, oh I did just, I didn't want that to be, it sounds uncaring, but I didn't want to deal with that my whole life. And so after my mission, I got back and was kind of scrambling for some kind of career goal because I just didn't want the pressure of being in charge right. of another person's right. health. Well, the, and, and the difficulty, right? I mean, that, I, I remember my, uh, my aunt was a NICU nurse and she had, I mean, it's a wonderful job and she did a lot of wonderful things. Um, but there were some days that were very, very difficult because of situations like what you're describing in, in El Salvador. And, and so one question I want to ask you, though, is about you know, your, your dad's clinic. Was that your beginning? Like, was that like the beginning of the, the, your love of science? It was. Um, and that was, it was such a, like he had a microscope. And I remember uh, we'd look at everything we could find out of the microscope. Oh. And um, one time, and dogs would come in a lot with porcupine quills stuck inside of them and we were able to after he pulled out the porcupine quills he'd take us over to the microscope and we get to see the barbs uh and it was just fascinating um and he and it was and we'd look at the foxtails he'd dig those out of dogs too and we'd put those on the microscope and compare the barbs of the foxtails with the with the barbs on the porcupine quills and and so what was fascinating about that what what was it that caught your attention uh, it was kind of this idea that the there's a world out there that's infinitely more complex than anything that, that you can see without having 
uh, the microscope itself was the idea, or the, or the necropsy, where you're looking on the inside of an animal and you're seeing something that you've never seen before. Right. And, uh, and, and, and he can do that, and he could show us how to do that, and we yeah. were able to see the world from a perspective that was totally different than anything that we'd seen before. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, and it, and it has like a, a natural tie to religion, right? right. Th this idea that, that so often in, in Christianity, there's this other world, right, that exists. Like, um, you know, that there's a world beyond our own, that there's something that we don't see, right? We get that a lot, the message in the New Testament. So, so let me move from science over to religion. How would you describe the growth of your testimony as a child growing up? Um, yeah, that was, if, if it was simple. Um, there we grew up, I, I was always very proud of my pioneer heritage. Um, everybody that I knew, that I was related to, that I saw on a regular basis, was an active member of the church. Mm. Except, I mean, we lived in California, so there was a lot of non-members that I went to school with. But um, within my family, there was, it was, everybody was a member. Everybody went to church on Sunday. Everybody had a testimony. Um, and if they didn't, I didn't know that. And so, um, and, and so it was, and, and everything was, was good. <laughs> it, everything worked out just the way it was supposed to work out. Oh, good. Yeah. That's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, you was... should hold on to that. <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, so, so you have that happening, you know, you, you, you go off to Utah State. Um, and what interested you in chemistry in particular? Um, yeah, that was a surprise to me, and I, I still uh, think about this experience. So um, I, I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was young enough to realize I could make a lot of money doing that. And that was the, like my sole motivation was I'm good at school, I can do science, and I want to have a lot of money. And so... Um, I'm glad I didn't end up as a doctor. That seems like I wouldn't care that much about patients. The, <laughs> but, um, but so I, I, am I 16? I was 16 or so. And again, my brother and I went and got our patriarchal blessings um, the same day, back to back. And, um, and the patriarch blessed me that, I, I don't know if that's the right term to use, but he discussed that he said I should pursue chemistry specifically. Which, wow. and, and uh, and I still sometimes go back and reread that just because I was so specific. It was weird. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, sciences in general, but there was, he did list them out. He, he did say sciences in general, specifically chemistry, and he kind of moved on to other stuff. And, uh, and I thought, oh, you know, doctors have to study chemistry. He's not going to get in the way of my dream of a large boat and <laughs> a large home. Yeah. And, and so when I went to college, and I, I registered for the biology courses. I took anatomy and physiology, like a good little pre-med student. And, and I didn't fit a chemistry class into my curriculum until the second semester I was there. And I, I sat there in the first day of the class on the front row of 400 students and watched the professor start to explain how everything about us is chemicals. Everything's made of chemicals, all energy, all matter is chemicals. And it was, I'd taken high school chemistry, so it wasn't new information to me. Yeah. But uh, it was this watershed spiritual experience for me where I just, I, I really felt like I was floating on a cloud for the first 15 minutes of the lecture. And I thought to myself, wow, I maybe should take that aspect of my education a little more seriously. Mm. And so when I, I, when I talk about, when I mentioned that I gave up being a doctor because the girl with spina bifida, this was eating in the way at the back of my mind was, was I wasn't pursuing a chemistry degree. Was there something more that I was missing? Yeah. And so when I got back, I immediately, for my mission, I immediately changed over to chemistry and then started looking for, for uh, experiences, for career opportunities within chemistry. 
Well, and, and what's interesting about your story to this point is, you know, you're, you're talking about your faith and, and your childhood and that, um, you know, the comfort that you take and everything being good, right? Is your yeah. testimony, your life going the way that it feels like it's planned, right? And, and then you have this love of science and of, of chemistry in particular, and then you become quite good at it, if you don't mind me saying, right? You, you got into the University of Michigan, right? Was it biochemistry yeah. program? You even did some stuff at Woods Hole. Right, was it the Maritime? Yeah, the Oceanographic, Oceanographic Institution. Institute, I was doing right? marine biology there. In I Massachusetts. Spent a summer in, uh, at Georgia Tech and doing biophysical research. So, so there you are doing a lot of really good research at a lot of really good institutions. So was there a moment for you where that faith that you had growing up runs into a kind of tension with the scientific world? that not only are you amazed by, but you're also really good at, right? I mean, so there, suddenly you're, you're getting higher and higher up in chemistry, and sometimes there can be tensions. I mean, the, the, the classic tensions about the, the dating of the earth and evolution. Yeah. I mean, was there a moment for you where you, you kind of felt like, okay, well, my training is this way. It's kind of conflicting a little bit, or there's some tension with the... Yeah, um, and it, it happened as an undergraduate, sort of. So I, I um, during my mission, my last companion, well, not my last companion, I was the last companion of an elder who was more than ready to go home. And so he would wake up later in the day and then come home early, and uh, he was the senior companion. So I, oh. I was in the apartment a lot of times with just nothing to do. So I started reading all the institute manuals. And the Old Testament Institute manual has a section, and it, I don't know if it still does or not. I checked probably 10 years ago and it's still there on uh, evolution. And it's, it, it's pretty dogmatic. And it kind of outlines why evolution is wrong from a scientific perspective and then launches into why it's wrong from a religious perspective. And, and I remember reading through this and I'd never, I kind of, I never talked about evolution as a kid, which was funny that I grew up in the home of a biologist and a veterinarian, we yeah. just didn't discuss it. It never came up, we just didn't believe in it. And so when I read through this, I, I just kind of mentioned, oh, wow, it lays it out pretty clear that, that this, is, this is simply just a false idea. And my companion, who was a geology major before coming, mentioned that he had taken an evolutionary geology class at BYU. And, uh, and he said it, it, he didn't see, his professor didn't find any conflict with the two. And so oh. I, I got home, and this was kind of in the back of my mind, and it um, kind of stood, just sat there, just sat back there. And so as I was going through an undergraduate, I just did chemistry, and then I started learning, leaning hard into biochemistry. And one day, I was, we were in a research meeting, and the professor at Utah State that I worked with was LDS. Uh, both the grad students were LDS. Uh, most of the undergrads were. And um, kind of out of the blue, it dawned on me that I was conducting research experiments that were based on the principle of evolution. I was evolving bacteria in a laboratory and that if evolution wasn't true, then absolutely nothing that I was doing should have worked the way that I oh, was right. just about to explain to my group how things were working. Yeah. And I kind of blurted out, I go, wait, like evolution is a real thing. And it was, in, it was out of context. <laughs> I just kind of blurted it out. And, and everyone just sort of stopped. They all looked at, at me like I was the dumbest person they'd ever seen. It was, uh, <laughs> it was like, yeah, like, and there's air around us and we breathe it. Yeah. Like, and uh, it was just kind of, wow, like this is amazing. And, um, and it, I didn't really struggle with it then. Um, the institute manual kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have it at the time, and I didn't go back and look at it for a number of years. 
Um, so, so when you, it bothered you a little bit, like, so what, what do you mean specifically? Like, like bothered you in what way? So I, I misunderstood uh, the nature of an institute manual. And, and, and it forced me to start to deal with the fact that we have a lot of publications in the church that are not necessarily doctrine, but also, but are instructive. And so there was a lot in that institute manual that was valuable, and then there was this particular section that was horrible and, and, and doesn't belong there. And, and so, and then later on I did actually revisit it and found out that it was taken from a Seventh-day Adventist church. It was just can't, copied straight over. Hmm. And, uh, and th that, that concerns me still. Right. Um, that 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 we were that we were digging in for a doctrinal explanation to another church, but but people make mistakes. Um, it doesn't bother my testimony, but it bothers me that somebody didn't fact check that one. They, right. And it, and it it was hard. I, there was some moments, and I actually tutored a course in biology at Utah State, and had some conversations with two students who were kind of on the cusp of leaving the church, and one of them was really upset about the topic of evolution. It didn't bother me. Why do you think it didn't bother you? That um, it, my my dad um, was a was a bishop, was a faithful man, taught seminary, but in in his tired moments, he was not immune from critiquing the brethren of the church, hmm. and and actually, while there's a damaging aspect to that, I think that was actually quite helpful for me to see that somebody could be very faithful, and devout in their religious belief, and still have to struggle with this concept of these brethren in the church are making mistakes, and and sometimes it bugs him what they were doing, mm -hmm. and so when it came time for me to realize, oh wow, like the instruction from the brethren that was that was anti clearly anti evolution throughout the kind of the history of the church has been that strain. They they were just wrong. They were gloriously wrong, and uh, and that doesn't invalidate them as as a priesthood leaders. It just means that. They were human and a little more outspoken on a topic that they just didn't know enough about to be that outspoken on. So if, if you felt that way, like with some of those students that you interacted with, how did you try to help them? I mean, was there a way to... Yeah, um, that was when I found a book by Henry Eyring called Reflections of a Scientist. Yeah. And it's just a fantastic book. I've read Faith of a Scientist, I think was the book that he wrote earlier. Reflections of a Scientist was a little bit, m an easier read. There's a lot of humor in that book. And just kind of this um, self-effacing idea that that I'm a member of a church and I do my best and there's problems with it and I move on and that kind of became my attitude. And uh, I had just and and as I watched, as I went through that experience with this student that I was tutoring and watched us go in very different paths, I felt like um, what the words of Henry Eyring constantly kind of rolled around in the back of my mind. Um, I still see him as a bit of a personal hero. Yeah. Any particular? Um, things that he said that stand out to you? Like, is there something in particular yeah, that Yeah, two. Um, one is he shares a story where he was at a zoo and he watched a, an, a, an ape uh, <laughs> playing with something. And he just commented, he goes, if, I, if it so happens that I share a common ancestor. And the ape was doing something, I think the ape was, was playing across the glass with, with the, the, the child or something, was interacting in a humorous way for its own entertainment with a human. And Eyring's comment was, if I happen to, sh if I find out that I share an ancestor with this organism, then I'm okay with that. And, uh, and, and then the other one that he said that I still think about all the time is, is he was talking about a question that he didn't know how to resolve. And he said, if I'm sitting in some Sunday school class a billion years from now, maybe I'll raise my hand and ask that question. 
And uh, in that role, I think about that all the time too. When I when I don't know what the answer is to something, I think that I've got a long time to figure some of this stuff out. Well, and that's interesting, right? I mean, what you're talking about is that a certain kind of flexibility, uh, intellectual flexibility that I think you need to have as as a critical thinker. Uh, I think certainly as an academic, that that ability that that we may not know everything, and that that's okay. Right, that we don't have to know everything to feel okay yeah. with what's happening. And that was, I think, when I, I remember on my issue when I was so sure that I'd un I finally got the answer I was looking for in evolution. And, and then I came back and realized that this is totally wrong. And, and that idea that, and then Iring kind of comes in there and explains, hey, you can have a lot of uncertainty about yeah. things. And that was so refreshing. Yeah. Um, there's another comment that he made in a different book uh, that I can't remember the title of. It was a, it was a discussion he'd had with Joseph Fielding Smith that had gotten a little bit heated. Yeah. And uh, Iring, I, I think Iring just simply said, I'm, I'm so grateful that there's room in this church for both of us. And I, I think about that all the time, that there's plenty of room in, in God's church for yeah. people of differing opinions on topics that probably are less important to him than they are to us. Right. Yeah, and I, and I think that's an interesting idea, right? That, that you can have, um, you know, th th there's a lot of space for how we think about things with some of these issues that are maybe not quite as important as you know, knowing whether or not God exists, knowing whether or not He knows us and He loves us, Christ is our Savior, th those types of things that are, that are really significant. Right. And some of those other ones that are maybe less significant that maybe we can ask about in a Sunday school class billions of years yeah. from now. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this question then. So as a, as a professor at BYU-Idaho, like with your own classes dealing with evolution and, and, and any other type of scientific topic. How do you, like, what do you try to do to help your students um, gain some of the insight that you have um, about dealing with ambiguity um, in, in the scientific world or, or reconciling uh, scientific and religious tension? The, about probably 10 years ago, I've been here for 14. Um, and about 10 years ago, I, I started uh, introducing an extra credit book and I did it so that I would force myself to read a book. Um, and so I'd pick a book and I'd have the students read it. And we kind of went through a series of books that were short vignettes on chemistry in our daily life. And, and then I found a couple books that I found a little bit more interesting. Uh, one was by Sterling Talmadge. Um, the Science Can Be Faith Promoting, I believe is the title of the book. And, um, and, and then I started using, and that book is interesting because uh, and so I, I gave that to the students, and, and it was interesting how often we'd kind of be stuck in class and a student would bring it up uh, out of context, because I didn't plan it into the lecture. It was just kind of yeah. in the background of the class, and it started to occupy quite a bit of time, which was great. Um, I just had to speak faster uh, when I was trying to teach them the stuff they were going to get tested on. But, but we'd talk about Talmadge's book and the concepts, and, and Talmadge does a good job of, of diving right into some of the tension between different ideas. Um, I've used a couple others, one by a guy named Scott Frazier, who recently finished a book that I, th I thought was, was excellent for class discussion. Um, and, and that's been fun, and that, that directly ties kind of religion and science together. Yeah. And most of the students that I teach are juniors and seniors, and so um, they're ready now to start thinking hard about, about some of these complex yeah. issues where there's, there's room for disagreement, where, where things don't always match up with, with the way they might have when they started college. Um, it's actually led, I've had a few students come by my office, and, uh, and I, I feel bad that they're always so uncomfortable. Um, and it's kind of those faith moments where 
I have some specific, a student will come up, I have some specific questions, and it takes them a while to get there. And, yeah. and so, um, and one student, um, my first student that did that, that I remember, was, le was, was leaving the university and the church. And uh, wow. he said, you know, he goes, I just, I, and so that was an interesting conversation. And I, and I, so what, what, were, what were his, some of his specific concerns? Um, he, I don't know exactly. Um, I, I, I think that, I think that he had same gender attraction and that was an underlying issue mm -hmm. for him. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't approach that directly, but it seemed like that was a hint that he was dropping. Yeah. Um, but, but so I, I can understand, uh, I think that, that currently the environment for people with same gender attraction is very difficult. I don't know that the church has crossed that bridge quite as well as they need to for them to feel part of the community yet. Um, but, but there was also the issue of, he said to me, and it, I st he goes, how can somebody who thinks about things so rationally accept the things of the church? That's what he asked me. Wow. And so we discussed some of the specific problems, the, some of the historical aspects, um, some of the anachronisms in the Book of Mormon, and, uh, and I wasn't aware of some of them until he brought them up, and yeah. I thought that was an interesting conversation. I had another student come by years later asking for... He goes, what kind of evidence can I use to show people that the Book of Mormon is true? And, uh, and that, was, uh, that led to another conversation about some of the problems with trying to, I mean, the Book of Mormon makes some claims that are evidence-based that we don't have evidence for, and the evidence tends yeah. to point the opposite direction. And so, so how do you address that, you know, as, as a scientist, who's someone who, who cares about science and has loved science for so long, how, how do you address those questions? Because, I mean, that, that question, how can... How can someone who's so rational be a member of the church? I mean, how, how, what do you say? Yeah, I, I'd, never, I'd never gotten the question before, um, and uh, I wasn't sure I was rational either, so I was kind of <laughs> stuck on that one. Yeah. Um, I, I thought about what, what are the evidences that I use? What are the kind of the tangible, right. measurable things that I can say that are reasons for me um, for being part of this church? And, um, and, and there, are, there is the emotional aspect. I, I mentioned when I first took, sat in that college chemistry class, I had yeah. that feeling like I was floating on a cloud. Um, and, and I don't know how to describe that feeling, and it's not a feeling that I've experienced very often. Um, but, but emotions are difficult. Uh, as a scientist, I have a hard time knowing what to do with emotions. Everything is, I mean, your brain is just a bag of chemicals. And if you feel something, it's because the brain released a, a flood of chemicals. And so what causes the brain to release the flood of chemicals? And, yeah. and, uh, and so the idea that there is a spirit inside of us that interacts with our brain, we can't measure that, at least I'm not aware of. And so I have a hard time with that idea. Yeah. And so, um, so then I think, okay, what are some other tangible evidences that I can offer? And, and I look at um, the quality of my life and the quality of the lives of the people that I've interacted with in the church, just in terms of, of kind of how their life experience has unfolded because of their, their membership in the church, their, their belief structure, the following, the principles that Jesus taught that are enforced, reinforced by the church, and I, I see that as strong evidence. Mm -hmm. um, almost kind of like Alma when he talks about planting the seed. And so um, we plant the seed and we look at the quality of our life and... Um, and I see that as evidence. Yeah. And, and that was where I struggled a bit with the, with the fellow that um, struggled with same gender attraction, that I'm not sure that he would see the quality of his life as being enhanced in the same way that I do. 
yeah. because of our, that what I love about our church is the focus on the family unit, the support that it offers. Uh, I have five kids, which I'm totally overwhelmed by. And uh, I feel like the church has made all of that uh, a richer experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. And th there's that fruit, right, that that follow the people that profess Christ's name. And, and so um, maybe in the absence of, of any type of direct historical or, or other type of evidence, that there's an evidence that comes from seeing how the gospel uh, works in the lives of people that we know. If you're able to see it, um, you know, function in our families and in the people that we love. Um, and, and, and that too is, is a kind of evidence, kind of powerful evidence, um, but a different kind of evidence. Yeah, one that, um, one that you can't measure with an instrument that I'm aware of. And that, right. I, that's hard to, yeah, as a scientist, I sometimes wonder what, what instrument, what meter, what, what meter would we use? We can't. Yeah. Home teaching numbers? That's what we're left Sacrament meeting attendance. Can't do those anymore. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think about that too with, with testimony. One of the things that I say from, from my discipline that, I, that I've talked about sometimes with students, and I don't know, I don't know if this always comes across, but I always tell students that I, I, you know, and I feel like I can say this, I know the gospel is true as much as I know anything. And, and it's a kind of, kind of recognition that, um, you know, as a fallen human being, there's only so much that I can know. But, but in terms of what I am capable of knowing, I also know that I have, I have felt the Spirit of God. And, I, and I, can't, I, I can't deny that Spirit. But I also realize there's no way for me to be able to tell somebody that, that it's true, that, that, I, that I know it. There, there's nothing I can point to other than some of the things that we've, we've talked about, right? that, that I've felt it. Right. It and the, uh, I was thinking in science, we, we care so much about replication. Yeah. And that's one of the problems that I, I run into is, is uh, how do I replicate the feelings in a controlled fashion so that I can demonstrate conclusively that this is actually kind of a supernatural experience that I'm having. I, I, I'm, I'm not very good at that. Yeah, so good luck with that experience. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah we need a control. We've got to have somebody who's not following the gospel to run one experiment. And <laughs> yeah, we can talk to them. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your, uh, your willingness to be here and for sharing your thoughts. Um, I, of course, appreciate your friendship and have for, for so many years. Um, just to appreciate the way that you approach things in, in your thought process and, and the wonderful mentor uh, you are to your students. Just really grateful to, to have you here. Thank, so thank you, you very much. Thank you.